welcome Harvest and uh, wow, second service way to pack the house. Glad you're here. Um, interesting day, uh, cool day. Uh, we are in the final Sunday, as Nick mentioned, of our series through the book of Joshua. We've now spent some 29 Sundays on this journey and uh, it concludes after today. Uh, I'll let you in a little behind the curtain before we started this series. Uh, I entered it with uh, great fear and trembling. Um, we had studied uh, through most of Exodus some time ago and wanted to pick the story back up. And, and uh, going into it, this is the first time I've taught, preached through Joshua. And sometimes when you don't have that experience, those legs under you, you wonder a little bit what you're going to be entering into. And then added on top of that was the fact that uh, we're going to be spending nearly seven months in this book, and uh, it's like if it's going to go bad, it's going to go bad for a long time, and uh, that's painful for me, and it's painful for you, And uh, but I just have to say, boy, God has just really shown up in this series, um, and uh, it's interesting that in the final setting of this uh, book, we find ourselves in a bit like three kind of almost funeral feel kind of moments here with uh, three individuals and it's almost fitting uh, for me because that's a bit the way I'm feeling about this series. I, uh, I, I don't want to say goodbye just to tell you the truth here and uh, I have so enjoyed it and God has done a great work in me and I don't know why or how God's done that but I'm sad to be saying goodbye to it. Uh, but uh, as Joshua 1 started out, we want to finish that way, strong and courageous. And so we're going to do that. So please open your copy of God's Word to Joshua 24. Uh, it's so cool for me. I'm just by the observation, just so cool for me that uh, by the time I take some time uh, talking, you, most of you have already turned to, to where we're going. I love that. Bible's open. That's what we're about on your lap in God's Word. We're going to dig into it here. A couple things before we do that, though. Uh, one is, this is very likely in your mind, you're wondering, hey, if we're finishing today, like where are we going after today? And that's a viable question. So I actually want to tell you, Lord willing, what's going on for the next two years uh, with what's happening here. One is next Sunday, we're going to start a short four-week series called Solomon on Stewardship. And we're going to be taking three, four key areas of that that God has stewarded unto us. And we're going to be going to Ecclesiastes and Proverbs and grabbing a hold of that and talking about uh, what God has to say uh, through Solomon, if you will, uh, on some areas of stewardship. Then after that, we're going to be going into the first three chapters of Revelation. Uh, we're going to go Revelation chapter 1, then Revelation chapter 2 and 3, talk about God talking to seven churches. And we're going to be talking, uh, spending a week on a church uh, as we are preparing to enter into our new sending base place, our new facility. Uh, I'm really viewing this as an opportunity to what did God have to say to seven different churches that we as a church that are kind of getting ready almost for a relaunch, what can we learn from these? So we're going to be doing that through the end of November. December then is going to be filled with some Christmas stuff as well as, uh, Lord willing, if we're looking to move in the facility, if it turns out around Christmas, we will probably be spending one or two Sundays and talking very much as a church family about what it's going to look like in the new building, how it's going to function, teams, leadership, and areas like that. Uh, there's a lot in the process, and we'll be spending some time on that. Then 2014, 
Uh, we're looking at almost as a whole new relaunch for us in the facility. And so we're going to start it out. We've decided to start it out very much the way we did our original launch some five and a half years ago. We're going to spend the first three Sundays going through worship, walk, and work, uh, and just diving into those as we did on our first Sundays. Then we're going to jump into an epistle. We're going to be jumping into the book of Colossians and spending a good amount of time on that. And then we're going to be jumping into one of the gospels. 2014 is going to be very much of a Christ supreme kind of a year. Then 2015, in case you're wondering, the plan right now is that uh, we're going to go back, pick up in Revelation chapter 4, and take that whole bad boy on uh, through the end, if we're all still here um, for that at that time. But just so you know, I'm excited about it, looking forward to it, but that gives you a little bit of an idea, okay? With me? All right, so today we're going to finish out Joshua, uh, strong and courageous. And as I mentioned, we kind of have three funerals going on here in these last five verses. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've been to a a good number of funerals in my life. And uh, funerals have a way of helping us to go reflective. I mean, they just really do. They help us go reflective. And, And they're an interesting thing. Funerals grab our attention. And the reason funerals grab our attention is because death grabs our attention. And in fact, I want to talk about death here just for a moment. And uh, my saying that, isn't it interesting how my saying that just gives you kind of a weird feel inside? It's just a bit of an uncomfortable feel for a moment. Uh, Why is that? Why is that? Well, actually, it's that way because death is an unnatural reality. Um, Death was not part of God's original plan. I mean, forever was. Um, and, and in it, we were created by God and we are forever beings. Uh, but when death came into it, and death really comes as a result of a, a devastating decision to disobey God, go to Genesis 2, Genesis 3. A devastating decision to disobey God resulted in, in that devastating reality of death. And um, God does not let death go unnoticed. God has not let that go unnoticed. In fact, in it all, uh, God is all about conquering death because death is unacceptable to God. That's what the whole Bible is about. The whole Bible is about God talking about what he has done and what he is doing in, re- in light of the forever reality and in light of this, this uh, 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 unnatural interruption, if you will, called death. Um, it, it's a part of life. It's a reality about it. And it takes us to a place to where we go reflective, but in it, God has triumphed over it. And the fact of the matter of what the Bible says is simply this. A death has conquered death and made forever available with God. It's available. Do you know that? There, there is a solution to the death problem. And that's what the Bible talks about. And so for a person who knows Jesus Christ as their savior, for a person who has been redeemed in Christ, Um, while attending that funeral is sad, and it is, isn't it? It is a loss for us. But in it, contained within that, is the reality of a celebration. It's a celebration. Because that person is with the Lord forever. Not I hope. 
I know forever with the Lord. In fact, let me read from you 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are, and I love this, those who are asleep, at least asleep to us, those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And then we who are alive, who are left, and will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, you must encourage one another with these words. I just want to tell you, if I die, cry a little, celebrate, and get on with it. Be encouraged, okay? That's the reality of it. Just hear, gone, done. Preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Okay? It's okay. That's the reality of it. Yet funerals take us to that place. They, they help us grab a hold of this, this, this unnatural interruption. And so we're going to be going to three funerals. And what a way to end our series in this book with kind of these three funeral feels in it all. But we're going to do it with strength and courage. And I just want to note this. I'm not the kind of guy, I honestly, I really don't like long preachy funerals or weddings. There are opportunities to go reflective and God can really use them in their lives. So we're actually going to go to three funerals and I'm going to cover these three funerals in about 30 minutes here. So we're going to go quick and fast through them um, and allow God to take us vertical during this time as we see three men who really are heroes that we need to admire and appreciate, not because we worship them, but because their lives take us vertical to God. Okay, that's what we're gonna do. You ready? Let's do it. Lord, I pray as we dig into this passage that you would show yourself more and big and beautiful and as the conquering king that you are, more of you, Lord, more of you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Joshua chapter 24, verse 29. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance in Timnasarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. Look at this, next statement. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. What a man of impact. What a generation of impact. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Now as for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them in Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob brought or bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died. And they buried him at Gibeah, the town of Phinehas, his son, which had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. Joshua, Joseph, and Eleazar. 
I mean, we meet here what are really three very unique persons having three very unique personalities with three unique responsibilities and three unique impacts for God. I just bring that out because I want to let you know God is not about producing robotic lemmings for himself. We are unique, we are different, we are different seasons, different times, different places, and God is raising people up for himself. Now let's work backwards from this passage, and let's start funeral number one, let's go to Eleazar. Eleazar, what do we learn from the text? Well, one of the things he learned from the text right off is that he was the son of Aaron. Uh, let's pause for a second on that, because imagine that. And I don't know if you know how well you know your Bible, but Aaron was Moses' right-hand man. In fact, when Moses went at the whole burning bush thing, and God's like, hey, Mo, I got a job for you. And he's like, I, I can't talk well. Like, come on, man. And, and uh, that whole exchange. And really, Aaron then comes along as his right-hand mouthpiece in so many ways. By the way, don't just go by the movies. Uh, go by the Bible. Aaron was a great mouthpiece along with Moses in it all. And in it all, as he was going along, he is, uh, Aaron has a son, Phineas, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Eleazar. Uh, Eleazar, can you imagine being Aaron's son? I mean, you got like inside dibs on Mo. I mean, you, you got the chance to see Moses and, and everything related to that. I mean, your dad is Aaron. Those are some hard shoes to fill. Um, but three things about this uh, kind of add here with Eliezer. If I was doing his funeral, here's three things I might say. Number one, he was a man of impact by carrying out his priestly role. Uh, Eliezer was a priest. He was one, especially in that day and time, who, who stood in the gap. Uh, He was a priest for the people between them and God, and he served in that function. And yet his dad was the original, if you will, priest uh, before him. And and here he is filling his dad's shoes in a ministry capacity with it. I'm like, wow, that, that can be pretty tough to do. But here he steps into those shoes, and we see all throughout uh, the book of Joshua, Eleazar being a man who is a priest standing between the people and standing for God before the people. What a cool guy, a cool guy. Secondly, I would just note that uh, he was a key decision leader. Uh, decision-making leader. We've seen all throughout Joshua, now every time these key big things take place, they come together and it's Joshua, Eleazar, and the elders or the, the key leaders of Israel. And, and they're coming together and Eleazar's been in all of that. I mean, he's been in the throes of this now stuff for some decades of time and making decisions and good decisions and some bad decisions along the way as well. And, and I just got to say, man, that, that's, that's quite a guy to be in that type of a thing. When you're leading a nation and making decisions, I, I think I'd just curl up in a ball and, and cry or something. Um, but what, what a guy to do that. And he was key in all of that. The third thing I would say about Eleazar, and, and I'm just going to straight up with you say, I, I don't know this for sure, but I'm kind of grabbing a couple things out of the, the text and, and making some uh, assumptions in this. And it really comes out of this, his son Phineas. His son Phineas served as a priest as well. And we've seen a couple times now where Phineas comes in at some very key points in time. Eliezer's son Phineas is known as a man who stands for the holiness and the rightness of God, especially in the tabernacle, a couple situations related to that. His son 
is a warrior for the Lord as well. And what I'm going to assume in this is that Eleazar was a warrior not only with the people, not only with the public, not only with his career, but he was a warrior at home for God. Because Phineas was not a ministry kid tragedy. And I realize everybody makes their choice. But in all of this here, we see this son that is serving the Lord faithfully. And I just step back and I go, boy, I I just have to say, this was definitely a dad that did not give him a bad taste about ministry. Hey, dads, by the way, I just want to note out to you. Are you uh, giving your children the leftover after your career? It happens way too often today. Men, we love our careers sometimes and we give so much into our career that the leftover is what the kids get. Oh, may they not, that not be the case. May that not be the case. Because I don't think Eliezer in heaven is now looking back and going, boy, I wish I spent more time in my career. He was a, a priestly man warrior. He was a leader man warrior and I do think he was a warrior in his home. That's Eleazar, and he died. By the way, I want to note that he was buried in the promised land, and he died in the promised land. Now, to you and I, that doesn't mean a whole lot. Oh, but to them, it did. I mean, the fact that he actually died in the promised land. In fact, both, all three of these men here, the, the, the land where their bodies reside is a big deal because there was a time where they had no land. They had no place. They were wanderers or they were slaves. Now they have a place and they died there. They're buried there. God carries through on what God has said. A very cool story. And that's the simple short funeral. Eliezer the priest died forever with the Lord. What a warrior. I want to ask a I wonder question. I wonder if uh, Eliezer in heaven today and forever today regrets stepping up to the plate like he did for God. I don't know. What do you think? I wonder if uh, Eliezer and, and with the Lord now, maybe sometimes he felt like he kind of got gypped by God. I mean, uh, after all, he... Uh, He missed out on a lot of experiences in life. You know, like those foreign God experiences. You know, he could have had a a carefree, simple, you know, non-pressure, non-stress life. uh, But he had a pretty high pressure, high stress, uh, leading the people, not easy job tasks to do. I wonder if he regrets being in that position now with the Lord. Maybe he wishes he spent more time at the gym. Maybe he wishes he spent more time working on the money deal. I don't know. Maybe he wishes he could have got a better souped up chariot model or a a bigger house. Hey, friends, funerals have a way of helping us go reflective, and so I'm taking us there. What do you think? I don't think he's regretting what he did. In fact, I think now if he's looked back, he's probably wishing he could have done more of it. Funeral number one. Funeral number two, Joseph. It's an interesting funeral because it's just his bones. 
Uh, you look in, uh, in it and it talks about uh, uh, for the bones of Joseph they brought from Egypt. Uh, what's the deal with that? Uh, I mean, and, on, and part of it is, is why Joseph? Why now? I mean, this is the only time the person of Joseph is talked about in the entire book of Joshua. Uh, it's talked about his descendants and his family members uh, in decades past, but never about Joseph until now. Why now? Um, well, simply stated, I think Joseph is a tangible link, a symbolic link for them between the patriarch, uh, uh, patriarchal uh, folks who received the promise, or I'm sorry, who, who were given the promise to the uh, present generation of Joshua at the end of 24 who received the promise. Joseph is kind of that somewhat of a, a representative link between all of that. And they're bringing his bones and placing his bones there. I, I just guarantee you, I guarantee us that, that when this is happening, they're thinking back. And they're realizing that a God who had promised some six, seven centuries before, that a God worked through people, bring it all the way, and a God who did that was still now fulfilling it right before their very eyes. And the ones who were looking to the fulfillment of the promise, they were going to even bring their bones into the reality of it now because God is faithful to his word. This is such a huge symbolic kind of a tangible moment for them to remember what God has done. And so Joseph's bones are being buried there. Joseph died forever with the Lord. And I just say, what a, what a hero warrior of impact. Let's just ponder Joseph for a couple here. I mean, Joseph here is a, maybe the youngest brother, bratty brother, probably deserved a little bit of the, the gnashing of teeth by his brothers, if you will. Uh, I lived some of that in my own life as the youngest brother. And, um, and yet he was hated by his brothers. I didn't have that. And also on top of that, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. Now, I'm going to imagine that each of us have some hurtful moments in our families. Every family's dysfunctional. Uh, that's just the reality because of sin. But in it, I mean, who's been sold into slavery by your brothers? Um, Joseph was. And then Joseph is forgotten in jail for years and years and years and years and years. And by the way, I'm not saying jail is a great thing today, but I'm saying back then a jail cell in the setting of it was a lot different than it is today. Both are bad. That was really bad. And there he is all this point in time. And I mean, if, if I were Joseph, what am I thinking about? Yeah, like, God, you're on top of this deal, aren't you? Like, you're really good or true. Oh, come on. You would be, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, we know ourselves. And, and then he finally, God in his sovereignty, allows him to start uh, getting some, uh, some things going along. And all of a sudden, then uh, Potiphar's wife shows up and she's all hot and bothered and ends up punking him back into jail. Yeah, God, I stood up for what was right. How could I sin before my God? Joseph says, and back in jail. Yeah, like, God, you're really on top of this. Then he's back in jail and forgotten again. And then over time, he, God in his plan and in his sovereignty ends up uh, putting Joshua in a place of the vice president of Egypt. I mean, 
This is, this is like the most bizarre story ever. And yet he's in that place so that uh, God using him to be able to bring God's people to that place so that in that place, even in slavery, God would be building a nation out of those people brought there because God used Joseph in that whole situation. I have a question for us to ask. Joshua with the Lord forever. I wonder if he looks back and when he first got the opportunity to to talk with the Lord at his death, if he gave God a piece of his mind. I wonder if that happened. I likely doubt it. In fact, everything we see in the scripture, what ends up happening is before the Lord means face to the ground in adoration and worship. I I wonder if, if Joseph looks back at those years in jail and those backs, years of kind of getting punked by life feeling at times, if he looks back and he's just like, God, you have no idea what you're doing. You think he'd give it all up? I don't think he loved it. I don't think he wanted it. I don't think any of that. But do you think he'd give all that up to be able to end up doing what God had him intended for him to do? I think he looks back and say, give me more. True? Funerals take us reflective. And I just ask, how are you viewing life? Are you you viewing it as light as just a dot? Or are you viewing that the life we live right now is simply a dot in the line of eternity? Don't live the dot. Live the line. Because I can tell you for sure, Joseph isn't sitting there going, man, I really wish I could have just had a lazy boy in a remote and a beer in my hand, and ESPN on, and gone irrelevant for God. I don't think that happened. He was a warrior. He's a warrior kicking it out full throttle for the Lord. What a hero. Funeral number three, Joshua. Verse 29, after these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, remember from last Sunday, the slave unto the Lord died, being 110 years old. Kind of in this reflective moment at his funeral, I would bring back a number of thoughts. Let's get reflective here. Joshua, his name means Yahweh saves. He was born into slavery in Egypt. He lived during the 10 plagues that God poured out through Moses and his dad, or I'm sorry, uh, that was Eleazar, Moses and Aaron. He, he, He walked out of Egypt with God's people. They were slaves and they walked out of the powerhouse. And then Joshua was there when, they, when the, the, sea was, the Red Sea was parted and he saw that and he walked across that. Can you imagine that? How cool is that? I mean, I still, for me, I would either be like running across that scared to death or I would be the guy walking on the side just looking at the water and trying to figure out how's this being held up and what are all the fish doing? 
right across the wall kind of a thing. But he did that and he experienced that. Uh, By the way, he was asked to uh, lead a military battle for Moses. There's a a story in the Bible that tells about how Moses, when he was raising his arms, the the battle was winning. And when his arms were falling down, they were losing. And so they were holding his arms up. Guess who was the leader on the battlefield? His name was Joshua. I mean, what kind of life experience is that? Joshua was one of 12 spies who went in to spy out the land. He was one of two of those 12 spies that saw God big enough in it that God could do what he said he he would do. In Exodus 24, Joshua, we find he's Moses' assistant. Can you imagine that? I don't know if you've ever been an assistant to somebody before, but being able to be behind the curtain and watching who they are and how they deal with problems, the things that come on the plate, what they like to eat, what they think is funny, what they, how they do, how they interact. I'm telling you, Joshua was able to see Moses from a perspective that almost no one on the planet got the opportunity to see right there front face. Joshua would actually walk up part of the Mount Sinai uh, we find he, he, when Moses comes down, he, he grabs Joshua and they come down and there's the whole golden calf incident. And he's, he's there experiencing all that. Uh, Joshua saw Moses's face shine like all of Israel did when he came out off of Mount Sinai. Joshua experienced the tabernacle being designed and laid out and, and then constructed and erected and put up. And he experienced the, the cloud and the fire and the Shekinah glory of God dwelling among the people. Joshua experienced all that. How cool. He experienced the wandering in the desert in that time. Hey, flip over to Joshua chapter one and here for a couple minutes, just follow me. Because now we're in Joshua chapter one. And this was a guy who, who God shows up and tells him that, that he would, God would like for him to fill Moses' shoes in chapter one. I mean, those are some serious shoes to fill, huh? Again, I think I would just be like going, hey, God, I really appreciate the idea, but there, listen, I'm telling you, there's someone else that could handle this better than me for sure. And yet God shows up with Joshua and he's there for that and given that task to take the people in to enter the promised land, the fulfillment of God's promise. In Joshua chapter two, he sends two men out to spy in the, in the promised land and check it out. And, and then they come back and Joshua hears the firsthand report of what they've seen. And, and it just had to have been in there, the whole story of Rahab and how God has made himself known among a people, though they've never even been there before. Joshua 3, favorite chapter. He leads the crossing of the the Jordan River. Remember that? A half mile back, the people stand and the priests carrying the ark walk down into the flooding Jordan River. And when they step in, however God did it, all of a sudden it parts and it's dry ground there. And he's got a front row seat on it all. And then the people from a half mile back start coming and walking across. And for the very first time, a people, a couple million people set their feet on the promised land land. I mean, and he's there experiencing that, leading that. I cannot even fathom what that must have been like for him there. I'll bet he didn't sleep much for a couple nights. Joshua chapter 4, he orders then there to be uh, 12 stone memorials built. 
referring, remember bringing the people back to that moment. Joshua 5, um, kind of a tough incident for a lot of the guys at the camp, but it was a, it was a setting aside of the people unto the Lord and and a consecration unto the Lord time. God's serious about this and, and the details matter of things with that. And then they have the very first Passover ever in the promised land. How cool. And then at the end of chapter five, one of my other favorite sections in Joshua, there we find Joshua all of a sudden a surprise meeting with the incarnate second person of the Trinity and Joshua's face is to the ground and he asks incarnate Christ, what would my, what, what would my master have you, me, your servant, do? It tells so much about who Joshua was. And then chapter six, the whole fall of Jericho thing. Imagine that, you know, the march around one day and then the next day and the next day and the next day. It's just like all the people going, oh, well, this is kind of funky, man. Like this is a bit weird. And then day seven, they march around seven times and then they all give the big holler together and God the warrior comes and collapses the whole city in on itself. Can you imagine be there watching that and the dust even coming out and just being stunned by the awesomeness of who God is. And then the herd of Joshua 7, the defeated Ai and finding out that the sin of Achan, having to deal with that. And then in Joshua chapter 8, the, the fall of Ai, uh, the victory there at Joshua chapter 9, uh, the leadership, including Joshua, certainly they get punked by the Gibeonites. And having to deal with that, that had to be one of those moments as a leader where you step back and you just go, I, I, I can't do this. I'm not good at this. I just, I, I don't have enough smarts to be able to handle this. And, and, and I, I've hurt my people as a result of this and the discouragement that comes from that. Joshua 10, he calls for the sun to stand still and it does. God causes it to stand still. And the conquering of the promised land begins. And then the territories are divided. In Joshua 20, Joshua leads the setting up of the six cities of refuge, grace. And then Joshua 21, uh, the leaders or the Levites, they go into 48 cities and God's spiritual leaders are spread around and the plan is coming to fruition. Joshua 22, then the two and a half tribes, uh, those tribes who already had land on the, the other side of the Jordan, they head home. You remember that? And before they head home, they build this crazy big uh, uh, fake altar. It's an altar, but it's there for a memorial to remember. Hey, listen, we're part of the promise too. Don't forget us. And Joshua's the whole part of the, hey, everybody, get your Uzis. We're going to go take our brothers out because they're uh, not being faithful to the Lord. And, and then getting that whole mess all straightened up. And what a learning time that must have been. And Joshua 23, he speaks. He's an old man at this time. And he speaks to the people. And he lets them know that they're in the promised land. They have a choice to make. Are you going to cling to God or are you going to cling to something else? What are you going to do, friends? What are you going to do? And then last week... Joshua 24, wow, that was a heavy week. God in it calls for them to drive the stake in the ground and make a choice. What are they going to choose? And they say, we choose Yahweh. And then Joshua steps up to the plate and he's like, do you really know what you're doing? I don't think you know what you're committing to. I don't think you even have the foggiest idea. Are you sure? And he presses into them hard. But how cool it is, verse 31, Israel served the Lord all day of Joshua's life. Two words that 
finishing Joshua's funeral for me would be this compliance and confidence. Joshua lived compliance to God's word. Joshua lived compliance to God's word. Joshua 1, we see it. God comes and he says, hey, arise, take the people, enter the promised land. And guess what? Joshua spends the next decades of his life doing that. Joshua 5, if I already referred to, God shows up and he's on his face to the ground. What does my Lord want his servant to do? Whatever you say for me to do, I'll do. It just causes me, if you will, at this funeral to ask the question, are you a person that is compliant to God's word or are you doing your own thing? Listen, you don't need to look for God to give you a word. He's given you his word. And it's all right here. Rather than waiting for the mystical moment of God to show up, realize this, he's already given it and it's all right here and this is why we dig into it. Because this is God's word. Let's master this first before we look for anything else. And mastering this will take a lifetime. But he was a man who was compliant to God's word and set a great example for us. Secondly, he was confident in God's care. It's cool in Joshua chapter one, God says, go and lead the people to do this. And then after it, God says, by the way, I'm with you, 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 I'm with you. Be strong and courageous. It's not like God has said, hey, follow me and you're on your own. Good luck on your own strength doing that. No, no, listen, follow me and I am there, right there with you, my friend. And Joshua banked on that. And he lived decades of his life with that reality. I don't get it. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what God's gonna do with this, but I do know this. The God who told me what to do is with me. He is the one who is the conquering king. He is the one that is the hero of the story. And if I want to be a hero for the Lord, then I've got to see God as my hero. And he was fully confident in who God is. And Joshua died forever with the Lord. I wonder if Joshua in eternity today wishes that God would have dealt him a different life. I don't know, what do you think? You think he looks back now at this time and he goes, man, all the weight and the stress of, of leading all that whole nation. I just wish I would have had it easier. I wish I would have had, uh, I could have had fewer sleepless nights. I could have had more man toys and more man hobbies that I could have been spending time with if I would have put that stuff aside. I wonder if he regrets all the leadership loneliness that came along with what he did for the Lord. All the TV missed. The cool foreign God experiences he did without. All the chicks he could have chased. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. Do you think he regrets that he couldn't have done more of that? I don't think so. Funerals do this to us. And Joshua was a warrior. And I just ask, do you have any warriors? Heroes in your life? I'm talking past and present. Do you? You may be today right now going, boy, Doug, you're, you're, you're kind of very uh, person, human-centered today in this. No, because that's the way the text ends. 
The text ends remembering three warriors of the faith. And, and, and I think in that part of it is, is they help us to understand what it is to live for God, to see what that is. Do you have any, I mean, I'm talking not from a distant. I'm talking about, have you placed yourself around people that really are heroes of the faith that you can look at and watch and see and follow and go, I want to follow him. I want to follow her. Do you? Do you have them from the past where you look at scripture and you go, oh my goodness, that dude kicked it out full throttle for the Lord. I want to be more like that. Or is it just a bunch of fairy tale stories? I just want to tell you personally, transparently on the table, this whole series for me, I never knew Joshua like I did before. Like now I know him to the place I'm telling you, Joshua is a hero. I want to be more like the dude. And the reason is, is because he took people to the vertical and not to himself. That's what faith heroes do. Hey, as we finish, would you please turn to Hebrews chapter 12? Just just a, a last thing here, because I think this is really fitting for what we've got here. Hebrews chapter 11 is, is called the hall of faith. It's a list of, of people from Abraham. It lists Rahab in there. It lists men and women of the faith of old from the Old Testament in there that, that, that were men and women who, who were faithful unto the Lord in a whole variety of different kinds of ways. And, and you read through that and you go, man, they kicked it out. And God is like, that was awesome. Way to go, stud dude for me. And various things like that. But I think what we end up, hap- what we do is we we disconnect chapter 11 with chapter 12. Sometimes those chapter breaks get in the way. I want us to look at the first couple verses of chapter 12. And it starts with a very key word. What's the first word of chapter 12? Therefore is a tie to what was just said. In other words, because of these men and women of the faith who are kind of the superheroes of the faith that God happens to list here. Therefore, and result of them, uh, What? Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Well, here's a question. What witnesses? Oh, answer. Chapter 11 witnesses. Those kind of people. You you got this? Since you are surrounded by people like this. The text goes on to say, bring it into present. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, those people are to be the kind of people that are encouraging us and motivating us on Get in the race. Get in the race. In fact, I ask this question. Can you hear the saints from the past who have been the warriors? Can you hear them, if you will, in in the background cheering us on? Because this is what Hebrews 12.1 is talking about. What we've been studying in Joshua... Is not just cool stories, but it's for there to to press us and push us because the Joshua and and, and Phineas and Eleazar and and Joseph and Abraham and 
and the Israelites who are following the Lord. They're in the crowd. They're, they're clapping us on, you guys. I'm not trying to be over dramatic about this. I'm trying to be serious about this and the reality of it. And, and we have a race set before us. If you know Christ as your Savior, I'm asking this, are, are you tired? Listen to them. God's people are cheering us on. Keep at it. Joseph that knows pain is in the crowd cheering. It's worth it. Rahab who gave up a sin life. It's worth it. It's worth it, you guys. Let us run the race with Christ at the finish line. You're not running for me. You're not running for you. We're running with Christ at the finish line. Let's like kick it out for that. And, and if you're off to the side and you're hurting, listen, it's time to come on in. Call some, call some buds because the saints are cheering us on. And get in the race. If you're not in the race, if, you, if you're not redeemed in Jesus Christ, then the saints are saying, listen, you need to commit your life to Jesus Christ and receive him as your savior and get in the race with us. And some are further down the race. Some are struggling to get walked. But don't walk the race. Run the race. That's why we've invested seven months in the book of Joshua. Let's kick it out. Increasingly so for the Lord. Lord God, I pray as we finish our time here. That, that this image of, uh, of the saints, if you will here, as I'm kind of bringing to the table, this image of the, the saints cheering us on, Lord, I just pray that that would stick with us. It would help us to, to see that, that, that it is worth it. God, I pray for the person who, who's not in the race, who's observing runners in the race. God, I pray now would be the time they step into it, that they would get with someone, talk to us, come to the decision to jump in the race with Christ at the finish line. God, I pray for the person maybe who's just hurting right now. And they're not running. And frankly, God, they want to bail out. I pray that the cheering of the saints and of your word and who you are, God, that it would lead them on. Lord, you're awesome. And I really don't want to be the drama guy. I just want to be the let's get real guy. Let's get real in your word and with you and be encouraged and motivated. It's worth it. Running after the Lord, it's worth it. It's worth it, it's worth it, it's worth it. And God, when we are beyond that interruption of death, we will never look back and wonder if increasing it for you was worth it. We will know it was. You've given us everything we need to be able to do it. God, I pray we would press into you more. I pray that the book of Joshua would be a resounding call in our lives just to pick it up 
together for you. Strong and courageous. The Lord is with us. And with that God, we celebrate the race we're in. In the beautiful name of Christ, we pray.